You're listening to the Consumer Fi Podcast, powered by Norridge, loan software that accelerates change. Carissa, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Folks, we have Carissa Robb. She's the uh, CEO and COO, right? Both both hats? Yes. Uh, President and Chief Operating Officer for Constant, yes. There we go. President and Chief Operating <laughs> Officer of Constant. Um, thank you very much for... Uh, Constant is is kind of new to us in the auto and the non-prime auto, at, at least with, with the National Automotive Finance Association. I have to thank you guys for sponsoring during COVID, right? I mean, you're coming out and and kind of opening new doors during a tough time. So I, I really have to thank you for that. Um, additionally, um, you know, after my own heart, Carissa is is uh, also creating content. So uh, there's going to be an article coming out shortly in non-prime times, um, kind of talking on, on the same topic. And these are the types of podcasts that I really enjoy doing because we have something substantial, data-driven to talk about. But I think, you know, for a lot of us, what's really interesting is you and your background. So can you kind of tell folks about who you are and, and your background and and then how it kind of led you to Constant and, and what you guys do there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I um, joined Constant in 2018 and we started off as a fintech uh, lending company. Um, so we did um, uh, unsecured or UCC secured uh, home energy efficiency projects, roofing loans, um, built a proprietary um, loan origination platform. So we were doing online instant credit decisions. And um, prior to that, I'll, I'll get into how we pivoted into the loss mitigation area. But prior to that, I actually ran, I was the senior VP for TD Bank and ran US loan servicing. Um, and that position had evolved um, from running loss mitigation and collection units uh, through the financial crisis, through the Great, the great Recession. So um, I spent a lot of time uh, with uh, homeowners that were struggling, um, trying to restructure uh, those loans, avoid foreclosure, uh, keep our head above water with um, super dynamic regulatory policies that were uh, kind of changing on the fly. Um, most banks didn't have loss mitigation at that time. And so we were really standing things up that were new, um, trying to do the right thing by consumers, and then also just deal with this overwhelming volume of um of folks needing help and, and pretty manual processes. So um, from there, I took on uh, roles that were uh, heavily focused on governance and control. So um, running our federal audits with the, spending a lot of time with the CFPB, the OCC um, and our state state AGs uh, for any, any kind of audit activity around loan servicing and collections. And so part of that career path was um, super informative because you're dealing with uh, really high pressure regulatory situations, um, but it allowed me to pretty much ground my entire focus, my entire kind of approach to the industry in consumer protection. Um, so it, it wasn't just about mitigating losses, it was also carrying this really heavy burden of making sure you know, each step that we took forward was um, considering consumer impact considering consumer harm uh, and really trying to do the right thing. So all of that combined um, allowed us to pivot uh, about a couple years into our lending um, program with Constant. We decided, you know, the, the bottom's going to fall out of this really strong market in 2019. Um, we're going to see some delinquency pressure 
uh, certainly couldn't have predicted COVID, um, mm -hmm. but we thought you know, it's time to, to think about how we can carry this automation that we've built in the front end um, and really pull that through to the back end. So when our customers, um, if our customers started to experience some, some financial pressure and um, you know, delinquency, uh, we had a platform and a tool that would be there to serve them. Um, as you know, most of that's pretty antiquated uh, in the back office today. So that's how we evolved um, from a lending company uh, into a full um, platform that services hardships, loss mitigation, uh, consumers who are experiencing a bit of trouble and, and apply the same kind of automation and controls to, um, to the back end. That's awesome. And, and I had a chance, I had the fortunate opportunity to see um, a demonstration of your product and um, I really like it. And we're, we're probably going to get into a little bit of that, especially when we get to the end where you have, you've developed a nice little framework, strategic framework for lenders to do some planning um, because there's, there's some interesting tea leaves. And I, I really love how you, how, you, how you put this down in the article. And that's what we're going to dive into now. And, and, and the point of the article is about, I, I, would, I would say, you know, having your head on straight, knowing that you're going to have to plan for some future loss mitigation strategies. If, if, if it's not something you normally do or something maybe you don't do that much or do well, you're gonna to wanna to look at that. But there are some indicators that we normally rely upon in terms of bringing onboarding you know, credit quality that you know, may not really be uh, as powerful an indicator as they used to be because of all this stuff going on and the disruption with the stimulus. So you know, really what we're talking about is, is what are we seeing right now and what are the strategies that we think will be helpful moving forward? You know, you start out in the article talking about some industry reports highlighting the need for, for lenders to really adjust their credit policies to protect um, the capital with the new originations. What types of things um, along those lines do you think uh, lenders uh, are doing or should be doing or, or should not be doing? Sure. Um, so the first thing is just acknowledging that we're we're exposed as a as an industry, right? So um, a lot of the attention has been on focusing on how we increase um, or or increase the number of decisions that can be automated. Well, to do that, you need to rely on attributes that are accessible in real time. FICO has always been a leading indicator. Um, it's you know intended to represent credit worthiness. Um, and it, we may be a little bit exposed for that as a, as a leading indicator in credit models. So the first thing is not, you know, even if you don't make drastic changes in your credit policy, now is probably not the time to do that. It is worth acknowledging that there is some exposure and volatility in relying on FICO and how you price that asset on the front end. So um, there was a, a comment in the article that will come out that was talking about um, a 32 point uh, difference between May of 2019 FICOs and May of 2020 FICOs. Um, that's, that's significant. And if you look at the months before that, April 19 to April 2020, there was hardly any movement. So what that's underscoring or kind of highlighting is that the, the combination of you've got the surplus money coming in, supplementing income, You've got uh, forbearance and extensions pro programs kind of providing relief on the back end debt. And so true credit worthiness is a little bit distorted. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really know if uh, borrowers that are applying for credit that could be influenced by either one of those yeah. are actually going to be able to handle new debt. So if, you, if you're acknowledging that, um, what, what we're certainly encouraging and, and the reason we created Constant Plus is start to look at non-traditional credit attributes 
um, start to strengthen or supplement your credit policy with key risk indicators that are um, not lagging uh, nearly as bad as, as FICO would be um, in the Bureau sense of you know, lagging data and then influenced by those kind of external factors. Yeah. And the good news is non-prime, um, at least in the deep subprime, um, the FICO score itself, um, it, it, it's not... It, it's not as uh, valuable a, a, as a standalone measure. Um, so right. most scorecards are built off of breaking out the individual attributes that are on the Bureau. So we use DMS and some other providers to do that. Um, that, that was interesting. So that, that, that increase, we saw that in the 2020 non, non-prime auto financing survey that's put out by National Automotive Finance Association. I have to put a plug um, and ask people to, to take a peek at that. But so with... Um, we talked a little bit about the the FICO score kind of depletiate de- depleting, and this one's interesting to me because if you just look at FICO, let's let's take like a a, a near prime population where the FICO is a, a more stronger indicator. Um, in that in that scenario, uh, you know, like we said, it, it it might have lost some of the power of predictability for planning forward, and that kind of set the table for um for some of your next actions that you were kind of diving into. Um, so, you know, now we're going to start to talk a little bit about loss mitigation, obviously. So, um, and you have a, a very, uh, strong background in loss mitigation and in mortgage as well. Um, what starting from there in terms of, um, loss mitigation strategies in light of the FICO, uh, depletion, you know, what, what type of things are you, are you, are you kind of recommending or advocating at that point? You mentioned some alternative data, um, but what else? Yeah, sure. So, um, and and the FICO is just kind of a summary score, right? It's really, it's the payment um, history that's the most exposed. Like, is there enough income to sustain the existing debt um, and and take on new debt? Right, right. That's, that's not something we can say with um, a high level of confidence right now because of those factors. So, the with mortgage, um, and I'll just draw a quick parallel. Prior to 2008, we didn't really do loan modifications. Um, there wasn't a, a need for it. And you just prioritized your mortgage and you made your payment and you moved on. Um, after the financial crisis, we started to see kind of an explosion of um, regulatory pressure, consumer uh, protection laws that were basically requiring us before we were going to move forward with foreclosure, exhaust all your options. If you look at um, the, the state of the auto industry right now, the strategies for mitigating losses for customers that are at risk are mostly between short-term extensions, um, kind of put the Band-Aid on, right? See if the borrower can get themselves out of their own trouble um, or repo. And so there's there's not a lot in the middle ground uh, between those two those two bookends. And so there's, there's opportunity to just do things a little bit differently by the consumer. Um, and in order to do that, you've got to get a little bit more precise on the hardship of that borrower and then their ability to repay. So by no means are we suggesting modify everybody. Um, we know banks are not nonprofits. Uh, where There's pricing strategies to, to return value and return, you know, keep those margins um, healthy. But there are borrowers in the middle of, um, you know, prior to going to repo uh, that have the willingness to repay and may need small concessions to return to the ability to repay. Yeah. So that's for modifications and restructuring debt um, with very sound, you know, parameters and guidelines to kind of establish that affordability um, can avoid, 
you know, the, the, the overwhelming volume just going into the, into the repo pipeline um, while values are starting to compress and, and uh, return to more normal levels. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of expanding, um, very similar to what we did in mortgage, expanding the analysis um, and the, the understanding of the different segments of the micro hardships that might mm-hmm. be in that portfolio. Yeah. And if you can help. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, there's a structural call to action in my mind. So if I think of a classic, say, 100 to $5 million lender uh, in consumer, you're going to have some equity. And you're probably going to have some kind of debt that's going to make up, you know, somewhere between 65 and 85% of each dollar you lend. Mm -hmm. And the covenants that you have within those relationship documents um, indicate that you're only allowed to extend a certain number of your customers. You can only have so many delinquent. Um, uh, You have to charge off on a certain day, right? I mean, so these things are limiting factors to your ability to be able to deliver some of these programs. And um, you and I were speaking earlier or, or, or trading emails on uh, Cordray's letter that he had sent uh, a while back saying, hey, you know, here's kind of a template for how I think uh, Director Craninger needs to move forward. And he was talking about like auto repossession moratorium during and post COVID. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and think, if I think from a CFO standpoint, I've got a provision, enough capital within the... Uh, equity side of the, of, of the business to make sure that if, if I'm going to do these things and I don't have a concession from my bank lender, you know, I've got to provision more capital. My hope is that if, if the CFPB comes out with something stronger saying that we really want to, to drive a certain edict, that the banks who, who, who provide the debt through to the, to the lenders will, will, will also ease up a little bit. Um, but then that gets me worried about, you know, liquidity markets as well, right? In the debt markets, you know, are they going to want to sign more new deals nowadays? But um, anyway, I, I, I say that just to articulate that there's a great deal of, of uncertainty going on, but within what you are advocating, which is, is part and parcel of the product, is um, allowing the user to, to, to really define what's going on, articulate it to you guys, do it online where it's captured um, and and provide some other features that allows the lender to now do more analysis with that actual hardship information, right? So this is this is to me like a whole new world and a transition, but I love it because it 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 respects where we are. Exactly. Right? It respects yeah. where we are. Yeah. And I think you know, putting blanket anything in place doesn't make a lot of sense. You're asking, you're, you're shifting the problem into a new bucket. So um, COVID is a classic example. Any natural disaster response, we tend to reduce the barriers to entry because anything else is cost prohibitive and it compromises speed to market. So in with good faith, lenders went out and said, hey, here's your one or two month extension uh, mortgage side. Here's your six to 12 month forbearance. Get yourself back on track within whatever time allotment was allowed for the relief, right? So that's fine, but what that does is without asking the right questions of um, what is your underlying hardship, um, are you actually impacted by your ability to repay or or are you um, taking this relief as kind of an abundance of caution? It's really unclear to understand the volatility that's coming out of that pandemic. Um, It's a a guess, right, of how many customers are gonna return to payment, who's gonna need more, who's headed to repo, and so 
I always get a, a little bit nervous when we talk about blanket moratoriums um, because it's the same thing, right? You're, you're kicking the can and at some point you're going to have to address the folks that can pay and the folks that need to gracefully exit um, ownership. So that's where having a little bit more um, process control, certainly a compliance framework, um, that was one thing that I, you could not escape as a mortgage lender um, or servicer you know, starting now to develop those programs and say, we've, we've, before we just let the days pass do trigger, uh, send, send a customer to repo, we offered assistance, uh, we engaged with them, we tried to understand, you know, their solvency position, and can they repay? Those are factors that um, could help the industry stay, um, still take a step forward with consumer protection and doing the right thing, but not a drastic, uh, you know, one size fits all of nobody gets repossessed. Um, the other alternative to that is encouraging very transparent um, exits of ownership, like uh, voluntary repossession, mm -hmm. voluntary surrender, um, time to sell. Uh, those were also features that didn't um, contribute to like clogged foreclosure pipelines and the last go round. And the same thing could happen here in repo. So it's really about giving options, um, giving the borrower a chance to engage, seeing if you can work something out. And, and hopefully if the industry can take steps forward and kind of expanding that collaborative process um, post the immediate extension, we can avoid um, things that, that will create more clogs in the pipeline and more problems by just doing blanket moratoriums. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the critical thing throughout, whether you're, you're talking about during a, a moratorium or post or whatever, I mean, I think, lenders should all be asking themselves, how are we going to keep this customer communicating with us? Yeah, there was a really good article um, this morning, uh, or I think it was this morning, um, American banker and uh, Nandita Bakshi, Bank of the West, CEO of Bank of the West was talking about how um, customers have always told us, show me, you know me. Um, and so that that kind of comes through, like prepare for their needs and, and speak to uh, the consumer um, you know, th through the technology, give them a channel, give them a chance to engage, meet them where they want to be met, right? And the whole the whole undertone of that article was about this is not a temporary um, problem. This is not a temporary preference to bank, you know, remotely and uh, electronically. There's been major shifts um, in consumer preferences for online and mobile banking. And so this is just another uh, area of innovation. You know, mobile deposits are kicking off. Um, Zelle is kicking off. Uh, and seeing major, major increases. This is just another example of um, introducing technology and like an alternative channel uh, for customers to tell you what's going on and get relief. And it's, it's, it's expensive. You know, if you're doing that with inbound phone calls and uh, staffing your call center, um, people are expensive just to cover the task uh, of answering that call. And they're even more expensive if they make an error um, and, and somehow cause consumer harm or some sort of financial uh, fallout. So yeah, technology is, is becoming more critical and, and more preferred for most of the consumer base. So I'm going to, I'm going to say something. It, it's, it's totally meant to be flattery. Um, so back when I had my auto finance company, I was, a, I was a, obviously a Northridge customer. Uh, I work for Northridge yeah. now and, and they're the, they're the sponsor of the podcast, fantastic loan management system. I had to be part of the team. Um, one of their big integrations is with a company called PayX. And at the time I was using the traditional merchant services options, but PayX took the merchant services options and embedded them within 
a white labeled consumer app. And that app, what we saw was if a customer downloaded the app on their phone, they would they were more likely to make a payment on the app. So a self-service situation. And we also had chat functionality that is 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 to this day, it's 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 a core integration within Nortridge. So it gets posted in notes. So I can control what's being said, right? Or I can at least monitor what's being said back and forth to a customer on a chat. And that's part and parcel of, of, of what you guys are bringing forth, which is, like I said, at a high level, the, the kind of user uh, permissioned, user engaged opportunity for them to tell their story in a very safe space, right? So it's, it's online or on their phone or whatever. So they don't even have to talk to somebody because, right. you know, that's the thing that I concern myself with sometimes. I wonder if sometimes people might have some pride or some shame and, and certainly we, we've all been there, right? But it's hard to convey that, that, that empathy, right? So when you do something like this and you create a framework, it's like, hey, I'm in this framework. This is, it's okay. I mean, they built a whole thing around it, right? So I, I yeah. love that. But in terms of frameworks, let's talk about yours. So you laid out a really nice framework that I think is prescriptive for all of the lenders in the space to look at. And, and I'm just going to ask you to kind of pop through it and maybe say a couple things. You've got, what is it? About six, yeah, six different things that yes. um, they can do to plan to make sure that they're on the front foot as we enter into this 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 upcoming period. Yep. We don't know yep. exactly when, but you know, let's get our ducks in a row, right? Exactly. Plan for plan for it now, um, and you can always adjust. The worst, if you there's no such thing, especially with the regulatory environment we're heading into. Um, over planning, over preparing is not a is not a bad thing when it comes to compliance and, and self service strategy. Yeah. Um, the, the most challenging one I always say, start here, is your culture. Um, just acknowledge it. Is, do you have a culture that's willing to um, expand their risk appetite, that you know, they're willing to look at restructures, they're willing to look at voluntary surrenders? Um, start to ask the questions, you know, how, how much emphasis is placed around compliance, UDAP, CFPB, consumer protection? Um, it, it's not that obvious. Um, and some of the responses may be surprising. Uh, especially if there wasn't a joint, you know, mortgage servicing and auto servicing relationship there. So starting with culture, always, always important. Um, policies, uh, there acknowledge the fact that it is um, intimidating to introduce a new loss mitigation strategy. Uh, introducing anything new is, um, it can be intimidating, uh, but, but there's gradual um, sound ways to roll that out. And a lot of people uh, start by saying, well, you know, an economic downturn is not the time to try something new. When it comes to loss mitigation, neither is a performing market because you don't have the need. And so your, your um, prioritization and your allocation of cash is gonna go to front end. Um, so this is a really good time to start expanding um, a policy, expanding solutions, you know, setting your thresholds. What, what is an affordable threshold? What is the floor term if you do wanna modify? Um, who is excluded, who's included? Um, all of those things just start to get the conversation going in a very uh, kind of crawl, walk, run yeah. uh, capacity. And I'll, I'll throw in just that your control environment is important in that aspect as well, because if you provide certain forbearance to one individual and not to another, you need to have a solid leg to stand on. Absolutely. So um, any policy, and this is, I, I think I mentioned this in the beginning, consumer protection, um, it, it used to be... Uh, not frustrating, but it was challenging um, to have that kind of pressure with UDAP uh, while you're trying to run a 
you know, multi-billion dollar portfolio. It's challenging. Um, and, and people should feel comfortable saying that. Um, it also starts to, again, going back to the culture piece, become second nature to, to an analyze potential downfalls, potential exposure, potential negative impact um, as just part of your baseline. You know, when you're creating a policy, uh, to your point, you're, you're watching for unintentional um, bias, unintentional disparate impact, and just really pulling that thread and having conversations openly, um, not being afraid to just kind of assess like, hey, are we, are we making sure that this is all inclusive? Are, are our restrictions um, fair and, and avoiding the kind of disparate treatment that can get folks into trouble? Um, which is, you know, leads right into consumer education. Um, there's most of the CFPB complaints uh, right now, especially around wrongful repossession, um, have to do with borrower confusion. So is there, whatever your process is, do, you, do your employees understand it? Do your consumers understand it? Do you understand it? Could you, could you explain it in, you know, layman's terms to your, your neighbor um, and feel good about the product that you're offering? Um, so consumer education is a huge part of it. Uh, the, the, the next few steps are really around um, understanding the, the financial side, um, having adequate tracking, having adequate technology so that you can reduce any manual inputs, um, and then really being careful and intentional of uh, how to project, you know, with reasonable assumptions and reasonable test data, um, what that outcome is going to look like by introducing a new program. Uh, and there, there are um, gradual ways. It doesn't have to, you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You can kind of take your time and say, we've got a problem here. You know, we've got folks that are headed to repo and, but we've got a lot of right party contacts through a collections channel. Like they're asking for help, they're calling in and we don't have a solution. And you just start to peel back the layers and ask the right questions of what if we did this, you know? And it, it just um, makes the process of introducing something new a little bit less scary because you're starting from the place of solving a real problem, uh, not only on your balance sheet, but um, for, your, for your consumers. Yeah, and I love, I love the process that you created where it does take you through questions for people that may, may say, geez, this is a daunting thing. Like, what questions do I ask? I don't want to be too intrusive. Um, you guys already have a lot of that figured out or all of it figured out. So it, it really does make it easy um, yeah. to kind of go through that, that whole Q&A process. And I personally love it, obviously, because it takes your um, valued employees who are going through these dialogues and saying, you know what? They can do it themselves. They really can do it themselves. You'll probably get a higher response rate. You'll probably get better performance, but then the whole Shangri-La at the end is now we have some historical data that we've captured that as we look at valuing the portfolio, yep. likeliness to default, timing to default, um, you can start building cohorts that are very meaningful that you can then put into some type of a model. And even yeah. feed, even feed to inform the origination model, and I think that's really at the end of the day the power of what you're proposing. What, yes, what do you say? absolutely. So it's why we, um, it's why we started down the path of constant plus. We we knew we had you know restrictions of uh, minimum FICO and how much we could have within our lending portfolio. Um, you know, very various uh, covenants and restrictions on what we could lend. So one of our major goals before COVID hit was how do we um, soundly buy deeper into our credit box. Um, how do we lend to more people? Because we were lending with uh, um, contractors. And so our approval rate meant retention of business. 
Um, and same thing with auto, right? The goal is market share. So how do we continue to be able to give these loans out to folks that need them, but also um, you know, let our, our, uh, our partners feel comfortable with the credit quality? Um, and one thing we wanted to do was say, okay, well, if we, if we have this program on the back end, one, we can mitigate the loss and, and improve portfolio performance because we can be more granular, more precise um, with understanding the volatility of our own book. So I can, I can report on how many folks that applied for a hardship are unemployed and not receiving benefits. Um, and then the second part of that was, let's say we we're looking at open banking data and number of NSF fees. Well, let's watch the performance of that attribute against a FICO, against a backend ETI, and see how they perform and then use that to supplement our credit origination policy. So it becomes very cyclical where today the relationship between origination and servicing and then collections and repo tends to be more linear. Um, you start to really leverage uh, new pieces of information, especially for borrowers under stress. Um, and, and you inform that, that credit policy. So it, it becomes really cyclical and um, kind of an evolving practice instead of just, you know, originate, hope it performs and then deal with it. You know, first lost is the best loss kind of approach. Um, it's just expanding and it's evolving as taking a step forward from that. I love it. If we learned anything from this year, it's you got to be intentional with your life, with work. And, you know, you're advocating be intentional. Uh, think strategically about your loss mitigation strategy. Think about your credit policies and how that's going to feed into the need for different um, loss mitigation efforts. And, and I mean, that's that's kind of my my takeaway, Carissa. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's consumers at the at the center of this. Um, there's obligations to shareholders for sure, uh, um, but but it's not one or the other anymore. Yeah. And the more we try to challenge our approach, customer-centric, uh, customer protection, but also balanced expectations for return, just feel comfortable saying that, like we're doing both. Um, I think that'll go a, a long way in the regulatory um, environment that we're heading into. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll start to progress the industry as a whole, uh, you know, for, for banking and and um, financial services just just in general. Yeah, it's a good time because everybody's in the same boat. So I think you're going to get a good ear, whether it's yeah. from the, the banks. Uh, regulators, uh, I think, uh, remains to be seen. Um, Carissa, this, is, this has been great. And folks, it's Carissa Robb. She's the president and COO of Constant. What, what, if, if people want to learn more or you know, kind of pick your brain a little bit, um, what, what are, what are, what's the best way for folks to connect with you guys? Yeah, so our website is constant.ai. Um, there's a ton of information there. I am super passionate about uh, the topic. It's just something I really um, enjoy. I like helping uh, people that are really interested in progressing their strategy. So um, certainly email me. It's um, crobb, C-R-O-B-B, at constant.ai. And I'm always a phone call or an email away. So happy to, happy to help folks just talk it out. Outstanding. And, and folks, keep keep your eye out for the article in non-prime times. Um, not to be missed. It's it's a I mean, it's pretty much what we spoke about today. You have a little bit more um, quotes and data in there, which I think is great for that population that appreciates that. I know I'm one and I think you are, too. But um, well, outstanding. Well, and, and happy holidays to you, Carissa. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, I wish you and, and the constant folks a fantastic 2021. Awesome. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Take care. The Consumer Fi Podcast has been brought to you by Nortridge, loan software that accelerates change. 
We'd also like to thank the National Automotive Finance Association, the only trade association exclusively serving the non-prime auto financing industry.